Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number 6 in Joel chapter 1. We're going to be reading Joel 1 verses 17 through 20. The seed is rotten under their clods, the garners are laid desolate, the barns are broken down, for the corn is withered. How do the beasts groan, and herds of cattle are perplexed, because they have no pasture? Yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. O Jehovah, to thee will I cry, for the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. And I'll stop reading there, and that will bring us to the end of Joel chapter 1. Now in our last study, we were looking at verse 17, and let me read that again. It says, The seed is rotten under their clods, the garners are laid desolate, the barns are broken down, for the corn is withered. And uh, as we've seen going through this chapter, Joel chapter 1, God is describing his judgment on the uh, churches and congregations of the world at the time of the end. It is the destruction of their harvest. And and so when judgment began at the house of God, as it did in 1988, then the spiritual fruit within the church was ruined. And, and that's what Joel 1 is describing, the removal of the Holy Spirit. Once the Holy Spirit came out of the midst of the congregations and Satan's spirit entered in, resulted in the crops of the field being destroyed. And and, and so this language in uh, verse 17 is similar to language we saw, uh, for instance, in Joel 1 in verse 4. That which the palmer worm has left has the locust eaten, and that which the locust has left has the canker worm eaten. And that which the cankerworm hath left has the caterpillar eaten. And then also in verse 7, He has laid my vine waste and barked my fig tree. He has made it clean bare and casted away the branches thereof are made white. It's similar language to verse 10. The field is wasted, the land mourneth. For the corn is wasted, the new wine is dried up. The oil languishes, and, and verse 11, and verse 12, and so on. It It is about as strong an emphasis as the Lord could make on a particular subject, and in this case, it is the destruction of the fruit. There is none being saved within any church once, the judgment begins on them, and uh, we should not think 
that ever again there will be any kind of fruit coming forth from the New Testament churches and congregations once the end does begin. Well, we began to look at verse 17 in our last study, and we saw that it's an unusual verse because a few of the words are found only in this verse. The Hebrew word for seed, 6507 in Strong's Concordance, is found only here. The Hebrew word for rotten, Strong's 5685, clods, 4053, and barns, 4460, are found only in this verse. And uh, and um, when we're studying the Bible and we come to a verse, how do we understand it? By comparing Scripture with Scripture. And a big help in doing that is when we look up the word as it's found in the interlinear or Strong's Concordance, and then we see how that word is used elsewhere. Well, when we have a verse like this where several of the words are not found anywhere else, it makes it very difficult. It's only the similar language with everything else in the chapter that that we're able to uh, discern that this is just a continuation of the same sort of dialogue that, that God has been saying throughout the chapter. It's a judgment on the church. And it's a judgment on the fruit of the congregations, the seed, for instance, rotten under the clods, the garners are laid desolate, the barns are broken down for the corn is withered. Now the barns would relate to where the fruit is gathered. And the garners, now this is a word, the Hebrew word is Strong's 2.14, that we can search out elsewhere. It is used in other places. It's found, for instance, in Joshua chapter 6, Joshua 6, and in verse 24. And they burnt the city with fire, and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of Jehovah. And the word translated as treasury is the same word translated as garners. Now, let's just look at one other place. In Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, it says, beginning in verse 8, Will man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, and that's our word, storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith Jehovah of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now here God is speaking of bringing tithes into the garners or the storehouse. And, and this would be where the fruit of the land would be stored. And it, it would serve uh, to 
be uh, security against any famine or, or drought. And uh, it would also serve to feed the people. Well, or, or excuse me, the, the priest, since it's into God's storehouse. And, and that's the idea here in Joel, in Joel 1, that the garners are laid desolate. They're, since the crops have been perished and destroyed and the fruit is not coming in, of course you can't have a tithe to put into the garners, into the storehouse. And, And it's just further indicating the complete destruction of the harvest, the spiritual harvest of the churches and congregations at the time of the end, once judgment begins at the house of God. All right. Let's uh, just look at the last part of verse 17 before we continue on to the next verse. It says, The barns are broken down for the corn is withered. And again, the corn would indicate the fruit of the field. Uh, for instance, in Ezekiel chapter 36... We have a reference to corn in association with salvation. It says in Ezekiel 36, verse 29, I will also save you from all your uncleannesses, and I will call for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon you. See how God relates saving you from uncleanness and calling for the corn and laying no famine upon it. If God brings a famine, as the book of Amos says, a, a, a famine uh, not of bread or of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord, well, then he will not save you from your uncleannesses. There will be no salvation. And, and that will mean there is no corn. So that's the idea. The corn is withered. It, it's dried up. It's gone. Uh, it, it, uh, again, I think the, the phrase, um, no more salvation, um, within the churches describes exactly what God is saying. All right. In verse 18 of Joel 1, it says, how do the beasts groan? The herds of cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. So in this one verse, God is speaking of the beast groaning, the cattle perplexed uh, due to no pasture, and the flocks of sheep are desolate. So there's a focus on three types of animals, beasts, cattle, and flocks of sheep. And that would indicate God's purpose in bringing judgment on the congregations, on the people called by his name. And we'll see that these animals really represent men. We understand that sheep are used in the Bible to typify men. For instance, it says in Psalm one hundred. And verse 3, Know ye that Jehovah, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. And so when God 
speaks of the flocks of sheep are made desolate, well, we we quickly uh, have a, a spiritual um, picture come to mind. Oh, th- this is speaking of the people of God. And again, yes, it, it would it would have to do with the people of God within the church during the Great Tribulation. But what about beasts and herds of cattle? Well, we have to do the same thing. We look up beasts in the Bible and we try to find out, now, what does a beast or beasts identify with or what does God um, spiritually define them as? And we find that they also represent men. In Job 18, we're going to read a a few verses because this is actually fairly common in the, the way God speaks of beasts. In Job 18, it says in verse 1, Then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, How long will it be ere you make an end of words? Mark, and afterwards we will speak. Now Bildad is one of Job's friends. And Job's friends represent national Israel um, that falsely accused Job, who's a type of Christ, of sin. And Job is a, a type of Christ under the wrath of God. And, and so, as Bildad the Shuhite is a picture, along with the rest of his friends of Israel, we read in verse 3, Wherefore are we counted as beasts? and reputed vile in your sight. So, Bildad is saying that Job sees them as beasts. Now, that by itself might be a little hard to uh, to prove that, that the word beast identifies with people, but let's go to Psalm 49. Psalm 49, and we'll read verse 12. Nevertheless, man, being in honor, abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. And that's what you look for when searching the Bible to find a verse which God uses to define a term. And in this case, he says that man is like beasts and that that reminds us of Christ's parables. The kingdom of heaven is like. And, and that means there's a parabolic association made between man and beast. In Psalm 73, it says in verse 22, So foolish was I and ignorant, I was as a beast before thee. Now in Psalm 73, it's a psalm of Asaph, and it is um, describing a true believer, a true believer who who was envious at the foolish until he went in to the house of God and understood their end, and then understanding the end of man, uh, he he begins uh, to lose that envy, and and so he is really speaking of himself when he had taken his eyes off of Christ and off of the Word of God and uh, placed them on mankind. 
and all of the pleasures of that man enjoys in this world and began to envy. Well, then he says, So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Because the unsaved, uh, remember, man is uh, as a beast. The unsaved are foolish and ignorant. They have no wisdom, no true understanding of God and and the things of God. And, And so here we can also gather that being foolish and ignorant has to do with being a beast. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verses 18 and 19, I said in mine heart concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest them, that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them, as the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. And and this um, goes right along with the other verses we've been reading, that uh, they might see that they themselves are beasts. Uh, and uh, we could also look at um, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 21, and I think understand now what God is saying a little bit better here in Jeremiah 21, verses 5 and 6. And I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand, and with a strong arm, even in anger, and, and in fury, and in great wrath. And I will smite the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast. They shall die of a great pestilence. And yes, it's true. Historically, God did bring the Babylonians against Jerusalem, against Judah. And the city was smitten. And this resulted in the death of many beasts, of cattle, of sheep, of oxen, and and so forth. But that's only a picture of God's judgment uh, on the church in which men die. It, when God brought judgment spiritually on the churches and congregations, he didn't destroy their beasts. The, the churches today pretty much don't uh, maintain livestock. They don't have cattle and, and beasts and sheep. But spiritually what they represent was destroyed as they represent simply men within the fold with within the habitation of the churches and the congregations. Well, Joel 1, verse 18 uh, says again, How do the beasts groan? Now, this word groan is translated as sigh um, often. It's the word, for instance, that we find in Lamentations chapter 1 a couple of times. Lamentations 1 verse 4 The ways of Zion do mourn because none come to the solemn feast. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted. 
and she is in bitterness. Her adversaries are the chief. Her enemies prosper. For Jehovah has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children are gone into captivity before the enemy. And this is describing the time when God has loosed Satan, the enemy of God and his kingdom, and turned over the corporate church to him so he can rule as the man of sin and and be victorious. Um, this is why in Revelation, when the beast comes up out of the sea, we read that he overcomes the saints. That he he is given the victory over the churches and congregations. And this causes the priest to sigh. And actually, um, in, in verse 10 of Lamentations 1, the adversary, and who is the enemy and adversary? Esther said is this Haman who typified Satan. Satan uh, the very name Satan means adversary. The adversary has spread out his hand upon all her pleasant things, for she has seen that the heathen entered into her sanctuary, whom thou didst command that they should not enter into thy congregation. All her people sigh. They seek bread. They have given their pleasant things for meat to relieve the soul. See, O Jehovah, and consider... For I am become vile. And, and the word sigh is the word translated as groan. All the people groan. They seek bread. And that's, of course, the idea here in Joel 1 describing the same judgment upon the corporate people of God, upon the institution, the corporate body of the churches and congregations, those within are like beasts that groan. They sigh because there is a famine, because the crops have perished. And then it goes on to say the herds of cattle are perplexed. Now, th- this is a different word for cattle. The, the Hebrew word for beast in the first part of the verse is also occasionally translated as cattle, but but this is a different word. Uh, this this word is Strong's number 1241, and it is translated elsewhere as beef, bullock, bull, calf, cow, heifer, herd, kine, or ox. Uh, where, where you see those words, it very well could be this Hebrew word, 1241, and the herds of cattle are perplexed. We, we read in Isaiah 65, in Isaiah 65 verses 9 and 10, and I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. And Sharon shall be a fold of flocks, and the valley of Acre, a place for the herds, or the the cattle. The, the, that's the uh, Hebrew word, 1241. And the valley of Acre, 
for a place for the herds or the cattle to lie down in from my people that have sought me. And again, here God first speaks about fold of flocks. And it's in connection with discussing the elect. And we immediately, naturally, based on our understanding of flocks and sheep in the Bible, think there God is taking care of and nourishing his sheep, his people. And and yet we don't normally associate cattle with that picture, but notice how uh, the fold of flocks uh, and the valley of Achor, a place for the cattle or herds to lie down in for my people that have sought me. And we see the relationship that these things are synonymous. Uh, fold of flocks and herds of cattle lying down. And here it is pointing to God's elect. But um, sheep or cattle can also identify with those that are called the professed believers. And that's the case in Joel 1. It's not God's elect. Well, uh, actually, at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, the elect were within the congregations. But the overwhelming emphasis in this chapter is the judgment on the corporate body, on the institution of the church where the unsaved, where the tares are found. Okay, so it says the herds of cattle are perplexed. Now, the word... Um, translate as perplexed is found only three times in the Bible. It is found here and it's found once in the book of Esther. It's sort of an unusual statement in Esther chapter 3 in verse 15. The posts went out being hastened by the king's commandment and the decree was given in Shushan the palace And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city Shushan was perplexed. And that's the same word. And the historical situation is that Haman and King Ahasuerus had just made an agreement. Ahasuerus had sold the Jews to Haman, and Haman was going to destroy them. And he sent forth posts to publish the news in all the king's provinces that at a certain date, some months later, all the Jews in all the provinces were to be killed. And and, and it appears that King Ahasuerus, who does typify God, and Haman, who is a picture of Satan, are... Uh, being quite friendly, they they sat down to drink, but the city Shushan was perplexed, and we we could understand this uh, in some ways, but it's it's a little difficult. It's a little difficult, and um, a good rule uh, to go by when. Uh, when looking up words in the Bible is not to try and define your word in the verse you're looking at, in our case in Joel 1, with a difficult verse where it's it's difficult to understand in another place. It's better to find 
the same word, if possible, somewhere else where it's a little clearer. And this word is used one more time in Exodus chapter 14 in verse 3. It says, For Pharaoh will save the children of Israel. They are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And the word entangled is our word translated as perplexed. And here in Exodus 14, the historical situation is that Israel has fled to the brink of the Red Sea and the sea has shut them in with Pharaoh and his army in pursuit. And and that's why um, God is saying, Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And then God goes on to say, he will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will bring them, the Egyptians, against Israel. And this will lead to Pharaoh and the Egyptians' destruction as they are drowned in the Red Sea. Well, how does that relate, the, this word, of uh, or, or that kind of idea of being entangled or shut in, relate to what God is saying in Joel 1? The herds of cattle are entangled. Well, now that's, that, that is helpful. Because once God brought the judgment on the churches and the congregations, uh, he um, did shut the door of heaven on the church, and it shut in all the unsaved within the congregations in the sense they, uh, the, there was no more salvation taking place in any church in the world, and they could not then enter into heaven as long as they stayed in the church. Now, of course, for individuals, God did command people to come out of the church. And outside of the church, he was sending forth the latter rain. He was saving a great multitude over the course of the second part of the Great Tribulation. But for those that remained in the church, they were shut in. They they were entangled in that land, and there was no hope for them. That That's exactly the idea that God was saying Pharaoh would think. They are entangled with the sea at their backs. They have nowhere to go. There's no hope of escape for Israel. And, and here... Uh, there is no hope of escape spiritually for those in the churches to escape the judgment of God. Well, it goes on to say, Because they have no pasture, yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. And again, the same spiritual picture is brought into view. The, the animals need pasture, to graze, to feed. And actually the word pasture is translated one time as feeding place. They have no feeding place. Yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. 
in Psalm 74, Psalm 74, the Lord writes, beginning in verse 1, O Jehovah, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why doth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Remember thy congregation, which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed. This Mount Zion, wherein thou hast dwelt, lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy hath done wickedly in the sanctuary, thine enemies roar in the midst of thy congregations, they set up their ensigns for signs. And then down in verses 7 and 8, they have cast fire into thy sanctuary, they have defiled by casting down the dwelling place of thy name to the ground. They said in their hearts, Let us destroy them together. They have burned up all the synagogues of God in the land. Now, if you would replace the word church with with uh, sanctuary and, and synagogue, you'll get an accurate uh, description of what God did in our modern time as he brought judgment on the churches of the world, and uh, he allowed Satan and his emissaries to enter in to bring spiritual destruction. And and so the psalmist, writing under the inspiration of God, writes again back in verse 1, Why doth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? And that's what is being said here in Joel one eighteen. Yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. The people in the churches are made desolate. The desolation is the removal of God's Spirit, which means there's cannot be possibly any salvation. And and uh, the water of the gospel is gone. The fruit of the gospel go- is gone. Um, there there is just a complete devastation and destruction, spiritually speaking, within the church. Okay. Verse nineteen of Joel one says, "O Jehovah, to thee will I cry, for the fire." hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. Now we have the same English word again, pastures, that uh, verse 18 mentioned that the cattle uh, had no pasture, but this is a different Hebrew word. In uh, the previous verse, it, uh, it was a completely different word. This Word in verse 19 is Strong's number 4999. And this word, for instance, is found in Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah 9, the book of Jeremiah, is a book detailing God's judgment on the churches and congregations of the world. Jeremiah 9, verse 9 says, Shall I not visit them for these things, saith Jehovah? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? For the mountains will I take up a weeping and wailing, 
and for the habitations of the wilderness. And that's the word 4999, the underlying Hebrew word uh, that's translated as pastures, for the pastures of the wilderness, just as we find in our verse in uh, Joel 119. Well, I'll keep reading. For the habitations of the wilderness, a lamentation, because they are burned up, so that none can pass through them. Neither can men hear the voice of the cattle, both the fowl of the heavens and the beasts. They are fled, they are gone. And I will make Jerusalem heaps, and a den of dragons. I will make the cities of Judah desolate, without an inhabitant. And when we read that language, that Judah will be made desolate without an inhabitant, the inhabitant that is being referred to is God himself. He has left Jerusalem, or he has left the church, and therefore the church is made desolate. It no longer has God dwelling in the midst It is no longer God's habitation. Well, the uh, pastures, it said there, the the habitations of the wilderness are uh, a lamentation because they are burned up. And the the language of burning up has to do with the wrath of God. And and that's exactly what we find in Joel 19, uh, 1 verse 19. O Jehovah, to thee will I cry for the fire has devoured the pastures or the habitations of the wilderness. And the flame has burned all the trees of the field. Again, the trees. Uh, Remember back in Joel 1 verse 12, The vine is dried up and the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. Even all the trees of the field are withered. Because joy is withered away from the sons of men. And, and the trees, uh, like the fig tree, represented national Israel. And Israel, in turn, represented the, the churches. And and so the tree, the, the vine and the, the fig and so forth are dried up. They're withered. It's said in verse 12, indicating no gospel water, no salvation in this case, the the flame or the wrath of God burning on the churches as the flame has burned all the trees of the field. One hand, God says they're withered, and now he's looking at it in a slightly different way, and they are burned. Now, in, in John 15, God speaks of those that are not connected to the vine, and Christ is divine, and therefore they do wither away, and then men gather them for burning. And and there, the idea of withered things or burn brings actually verse 12 of Joel chapter 1 and verse 19. It, it sort of joins them together. Well, then in verse 20, and this is the last verse of chapter 1, it says, it says, The beasts of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Now, we had just spent some time discussing the beasts back in verse 18, 
and this would be a similar picture, same, um, the same word. The beast of the field cry also unto thee. And it, it's uh, just the lament, the sighing that we saw in Lamentations 1. And also here in verse 18, the beast groan. Uh, spiritually, God is expressing the reaction of the judgment that has come against them. And and then when it says, for the rivers of waters are dried up, well, uh, it you know, by this point, as we've gone through this chapter, and, and this is familiar language from Jeremiah or Isaiah and other parts of the Bible, the, the gospel is uh, likened to water, and in the desert, in the wilderness, in the desolate world, when God sent forth the rain, the early rain and the latter rain, it opened up rivers of waters, streams and fountains. And, and when we find that kind of language in the Bible, then we can understand, well, this is speaking of the blessings of God that are going forth through the declaration of his word, where the gospel goes, the spiritual water goes, and where water goes, life goes. There, There is the quenching of thirst. And the thirst that the Bible speaks of is a hungering and thirsting after righteousness, after the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the water would quench that kind of thirst of those that God determined to save his elect people. But, but on the other hand, when God is angry with his people, the corporate body, Israel of old, or the New Testament church, and, and when it has come time to bring judgment upon them, then those waters dry up. The rain stops falling. And, and the water is dry. And there is no water to quench the souls of thirst. And there is no righteousness. There is no salvation. And uh, that's the picture here. The rivers of waters are dried up. And the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. And again, this is saying the same thing in verse 19. Uh, let me read verse 19 again. O Jehovah, to thee will I cry, for the fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. And it's the same word, 4999. It's the same phrase. It's repeating itself. And, and we'll have to close this chapter once again recognizing that God is emphasizing, re-emphasizing stressing this fact as much as it possibly can be stressed. He has judged the church. The church age has come to an end. The salvation that did take place within the congregations for almost 2,000 years, for 1,955 years to be exact, is done. It's over with. That never again will there be fruit, will there be 
uh, pastures for the flocks. Never again will the trees um, give forth their fruit or the fields their fruit. There is no fruit, no nourishment for flocks of sheep or herds of cattle. It is complete and total spiritual destruction. It is about as devastated as anything could be. And 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 so God brings chapter 1 to a close. And it is again chapter 1 is describing judgment that began at the house of God when the Lord first gave the cup of his wrath to the people called by his name. And now in Joel chapter 2 it will be the transition. And we've seen this in other places, how God um, lays out the end of the world. And it always begins with judgment on his people. And then, that's not it, that's not all the judgment. The nations of the world are still to be judged. And Joel chapter 2, um, in the first dozen or so verses is going to jump right into that discussion, and it will be describing Judgment Day that began on May 21, 2011, and continues to this present time, and will continue. Uh, we, we expect for a period of 1,600 days, and then it will be completed uh, in all likelihood. But Joel 2 is going to bring us directly into the time after the tribulation. Joel 1 has given detailed and grievous account of the great tribulation. Joel chapter 2 will bring us to judgment day, the period of time that takes place after the great tribulation. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.